and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast that reveals everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and explains how to make it all work for you in your home. As ever, thank you to DFS for sponsoring this podcast. DFS handmakes all their sofas to order with five decades of expertise going into each piece. We're recording at Sophie's house again today, so brace yourself for the usual noises off from Lucy the dog, the washing machine, or maybe just Sophie sighing with joy over her new pink stair runner. <laughs> um, so what have we got for our listeners today, Sophie? So today we will be covering why white paint should be banned. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> We're going to be getting our thoughts and mulling over conscious... <laughs> conscious shopping? Try saying that after yes. you've had a Baileys. Oh, gosh. Right, okay. Uh, we'll be chattering about conscious shopping and how to plan an open plan space. And, you know, there'll be a few design crimes for good measure, too. So... Come on then, Kate. White paint. What's your argument? Well, I'm banning. I'm banning white paint. It's quite a radical thing to do, isn't it? Um, I'm not banning it completely, but I think we should think more about when it should be used. Where I would quite like to ban it is on woodwork and ceilings. Oh my God, that's like every house in I the am. land. I, I, you know. <laughs> and you're talking about pure brilliant white. Is this, because there's whites and whites. There's whites and whites, aren't is there? This, yes. Is this a particular shade Well, it's of that white? basic brilliant white, okay. but it's a bit like you said way back in series one, how you felt that grey paint had become the default colour. I don't know what colour to paint it, so I'll paint it in a shade of grey. And I feel a bit like that about white paint. There seems to me to be no reason why we do the woodwork in white and the ceilings in white. That's just the colour they've always been. Mm. So we have all these rooms where we've got really good now in this country about using brilliant, bold colours. Even I have, <laughs> and you clearly are. And yet we're still doing all the bits around the edges in white paint. And I'm always saying to people on the blog, you know, you must paint your skirting boards to match the wall. You must paint the radiators. So, what, so rewind, why must people paint their woodwork? In the same colour as the walls. Well, because it makes the wall look taller. First of all, it looks really modern and contemporary if you mm -hmm. paint it all out in the same colour, which I think is what the Georgians used to do. They used to do the doors and the woodwork and the skirtings. It was the Victorians who started doing it white for reasons I haven't actually ever been able they're to They're actually responsible them. for a whole heap of design crimes. They are. The we, could do a, we could do a whole episode on, on just Victorian what Victorian design crimes. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so that would be my first thought. If you do the skirting board to match the walls, you elongate the walls so you may make the ceiling look higher. Also, paint the radiators because unless they're things of beauty design radiators, Which they they're, really fa are. they're fairly mm. unattractive. So paint them to match the wall. So that, for me, just Covers makes the room that. look better. Yeah. The ceilings, and I do have white ceilings, but they're left over. They're just, why are they white? And there doesn't seem very often to be a reason for it. And where I started thinking about this was actually we did a styling job for DFS last year. Mm -hmm. And you did your walls in that very bright cobalt blue colour. That I'm obsessed with. Yeah. Which is now all over your house. Yeah. Um, up to about three quarters. I mean, it was a set, but it was a nominal three quarter height. And then you did above that on the wall, the top tiny bit of the wall and the ceiling in pale pink. And for me, it was a bit of a revelation because it just made the room look so much more pulled together and thought about. So it's not about painting the ceiling dark. Quite often people say, paint the walls dark, paint the ceiling dark, paint it all dark, it will oh, blur the of, edges. That sort of Abigail Ahern yeah. creating that very 
Abigail O'Hearn is a, an interior designer who's real brand stamp identities is very dark interiors and there is a good point actually if you do those very dark inky hues on the walls and then you go bright white on the ceiling it looks terrible it looks too awful. stark the contrast is yeah. too strong so if you don't want to do the whole inky dark black ceiling too at least go for a mid-shade I sometimes think a mid-shade. or even color. a very pale one because yeah. so my sitting room is very dark chocolate brown walls so we've gone up to the picture rail it's a Victorian house so we have one so it's a natural stop but you could just create a stop at the point you wanted and then we've gone white at the top of the wall and over the ceiling so that does blur the edges if you is like it, it bends the white? ceiling over the walls and of course it's not brilliant white because <laughs> <laughs> you banned it already I banned it so what white would you then well I've got a sort of chalky white I've got Wimborne white by Farrow and Ball but even I'm thinking now it would be quite nice to have done it in a sort of really really pale pink yes, almost so that, that you can't tell it's pink or if you're doing your whole room in a pale colour then do the ceiling as well. Yeah, so I just okay. So, so for example, if you're doing dull. a really soft pink blush colour on the walls, you could take that over exactly. the ceiling as well. I mean, I think the main reason why people go pure brilliant white on their ceilings is to try and reflect light back yeah. into the room. Now, I think this is where we're going to really burst a lot of people's bubble because I see a lot of people use pure brilliant white in dark rooms hoping that it it's going to make the room feel lighter and brighter. And that's where people are going wrong. Because Pure Brilliant White essentially has quite a lot of blue in it. It's got a little blue tin, mm. hasn't it? It can feel really cold and quite grey in a room that doesn't and have a lot of sunlight. And also white needs natural light to reflect yes. off, to bounce off, to make it do its job of whitening and brightening. To create the light and shade, So if it? you've got a small dark room and you paint it white, it just goes a bit sort of meh. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. it couldn't quite be bothered. It's very, it's very <laughs> flat and depressing. Yeah. So that's really the worst place so to we're use not, bright white. We're absolutely not advocating that you need to go dark but just a little bit of a colour and wash it all over the walls, floors, not the floors. You can actually, I've got painted floorboards, all over the walls and ceilings because that will do the same job of blurring the edges. The thing about painting all the woodwork, and I'm talking skirting boards, picture rails, dado rails, ceilings. Architraves. And architraves and doors, is you're, you're basically, it's like the reverse of a cartoon. Rather than everything being outlined in black, you're outlining it all in white. So you're immediately drawing the eye to the edges of the room and if you like the confines of the space you become very aware of the size of the room you're in whereas if you paint it all out in the same colour you sort of disappears you don't see the edges and actually it's a much more calming space to be in because your eyes kind of darting around and you do them. like a calming space to be well, in you don't you Kate you're all about the calming <laughs> <laughs> okay so you know typically here you are around my house can being completely rude about what I've already got as I'm looking around. So in my newly painted hallway, which is in this deep cobalt blue, but I've got I white ceilings that. and a white staircase. Well, yes, you have, but you've painted the skirting boards and you've I painted have. all the doors. I yes. mean, that's another big issue I have with particularly hallways, whether you live in a flat or a house, there tends to be lots of doors coming off it. And again, if you've used a bold colour because they're often dark, so go dramatic, and then you pick out all the doorways along in white, it doesn't create that dark dramatic yeah, so space. I, yeah, exactly. So that's why I chose to do the skirts and the doors to match in with the wall colour because I didn't want the eye to be drawn to the wall colour. And we'd actually invested on a really lovely new staircase with my pink Sarah. Yeah. Have I mentioned that before? My amazing space. It's me that's sighing, actually, isn't it? It's not her. It's me that's doing the sighing. So I wanted the focal point and to draw the eye to the staircase. And actually by 
picking a nice, it isn't pure brilliant white, it's called Perfect White by Zoffany. But I love white with blue, it's a very classic but, colour but combination. But again, it's not just about the white ceiling, is it? Because you've got a very heavily patterned tile, which, which is has a blue white and white in. and black. Yeah. So actually the white ceiling reflects perfectly. I would justify my white ceiling, although clearly I now need to go home and paint it pale pink, but I would justify it until about an hour ago with the fact that my floorboards are all painted white. So there's kind so of then, white at both ends. Yeah. It's when you've got, for example, a wooden floor and a coloured wall and it all tones in and then it's a white ceiling. Bright, and it's white like, ceiling. why did you stop there? So it's not perhaps that I'm banning white paint. I would say, think, make a decision. Think about, is white actively the colour you want for your ceiling or your woodwork or would something else look better? And very often with wallpaper, for example, white is absolutely the worst colour. Mm. You want to choose one of the colours in the wallpaper or the pattern sofa and do it all in that. And that can look re you know, really it. fantastic. Or the type of white. Yeah. I mean, one place where, and again, I'm looking at my own home, they're all my window frames are white and the window sills are white. Um, and I don't think you have to have white windows. I really don't. But I do use it here because we don't get an awful lot of light. The windows are quite mm. small and it does help maximise the feeling of light coming through the windows by yeah. having them painted white. It's, none of this is a one-size-fits-all. I'm just being devil's advocate. Uh, is that what <laughs> so, it is? Yeah. You're just having an argument with me. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you know, you've got to look at your own house, but that's also what I would always say about all of this is that we would just throw out some ideas give you something to think about and see if actually that might work for you because I've got big Victorian sash windows and actually mine are white because we had them painted when we moved in and it's really hard work painting sash windows but I look at other houses that I see on Instagram on Pinterest in places with you know white walls with dark windows yeah, and that great, really frames the view it looks fantastic I think all the bottom line I'm just saying think about it think if white is the default color you want or if you could and do something different. And there has to be different. a reason for yeah. using it. Don't be lazy. There you go. So I completely concur with your argument to ban pure, brilliant white. You concur? I concur. It's very, too high contrast a lot of the time and too stark. But uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on if it's not pure, brilliant white, if that's got banned, what are we using instead? What whites are allowed? How do you pick the perfect white? Oh, because that's really easy. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's going to be a natural question, isn't it? People are going to ask. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not, I think it's really difficult because you're playing into then questions of how light is your room, what's the natural light. If you're in a south-facing room, you will have a very yellow golden light. So, you know, a beige paint or a more yellowy white will look even more yellow. And if you've gone for a sort of cooler shade of white, more brilliant, in a north-facing room where the light is steady and bluish, it will look colder. So like all these colours, it's like back to the choosing the right shade of grey again. You have to play around with it. But I think anything that's just a bit chalky and matte and isn't brilliant. So You can kind of get grey whites and pinky whites and greeny whites. I mean, I personally, even with all my experience in interior design, absolutely hate picking white. Because it's really difficult. It's really and, but I think you could basically say if your room overall has a sort of greeny, pinky feel to it, then, you know, yeah. pick something that goes with that. So if you've got a room that's where you've got a blue sofa and blue curtains, then I wouldn't necessarily choose a yellowy white because it might just look like you've been smoking a pack of Silco in there for 20 years. You know, I, I would argue white is the hardest 
color to choose. So, yeah. for example, when I was doing my hallway, it's this lazuli blue, which is a very strong, purpley, rich colored blue. And I chose a color called Architects White to go with it, which is quite stark. But yes. I thought, no, I want them to be a very, I want the contrast to be quite stark. I want these stairs to pop out. But Architects White actually is quite a bluey white. And when that white was put with the blue, oh my God. God, it was so blue. It was yes, so great. It was but horrible. Can, I do think the clue can be in the name because I would automatically think that Architects White would be, be quite really pure stark, yeah. and stark. And you can get now all the paint companies that do names. They're called things like chemise and cotton and chalk. So a bit warmer. look for names like that because they're clearly going to be a little bit warmer than something that's called brilliance or marble or pure. But what the interesting is, even though I wanted quite a stark white by the time I put it with the blue it, yeah, was, it too became much. too stark yeah. and I actually ended up going for a much warmer white that actually what isn't the color I wanted but with the blue by the time the blue had reflected yeah. into that white the problem is as always with picking a paint color is you can't pick it in isolation yeah because it's all about what your room is naturally as in the windows and the lights and the doors but also the furniture you're putting, you're putting in there yeah. and you can warm up a cold white and tone down a very beigey one with the colours you put with it. But I, I would look for those sorts of names that when you read the name of the paint, that suggests to you something that might be a bit softer and a bit warmer. Shortly, we'll turn our attention to open plan spaces and those design crimes. But before that, we want to talk about, well, something that everyone seems to be talking about right now, and that's conscious shopping. But I just wanted to remind you quickly to contact us if there's anything you'd like us to cover in the show. And of course, do keep sharing those design crimes. We are on Twitter and Facebook, but Instagram is our natural home. So do come and find us there. I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors and she's mad about the house. So we're going to talk about conscious shopping. And I think you have been doing some work on this. Well, yeah, so. I, do, I just did some work with Etsy really just before Christmas last year. And it was really interesting that they approached me to basically host this panel debate and this sort of pop-up shop that they did in London. But what was interesting for me is I don't know whether I'm the obvious choice for that. I'm a, con you know, I'm conscious, but <laughs> you're awake. <laughs> Last time I checked, I still had a pulse. Uh, but I'm not somebody who in my it's career... It's not your platform, is it? It's not my the platform to... Yeah, exactly, an eco-warrior. However... I think it's something we are all thinking about. You know, we've all watched David Attenborough's Blue Planet. None of us are having plastic short straws in our drinks anymore. You yeah. know, it's out there. It's something we're really thinking about. And I absolutely adored working with Etsy because it got me thinking about yeah. this and talking to some really interesting people. And I just really wanted an opportunity to chat to you about it, really, and see if it's coming up for you and what does it mean within interior design to be, you know, how can we be a little bit more conscious about what we put in our homes and what's the impact it's, it's something I increasingly think about and feel worried about it. But I think we are perhaps when it comes to our homes, we're perhaps doing a little better than we might think in that I've got a lot of vintage furniture in my house. I've got lots of stuff I've inherited or stolen from my mother and, <laughs> and upcycled is such a terrible word. But so I think we're getting more conscious in our homes. We're not just like fashion. We're not so much buying throwaway fashion. Well, I think that's been at the forefront of this whole movement has been the fashion thing and Stacey Dooley did her yeah. documentary about throwaway fashion and the absolutely eye-watering impact that's having on the planet. I suppose when it comes to our homes and interior design, I mean, you just hit on the sort of first point straight away is there's nothing more sustainable 
than not buying anything at all. So you're right, sort of shop at home, I sometimes say. It's like actually just rearranging the furniture, restyling the objects you already own can make your home look really fresh and interesting. And I think sometimes we just shop to make ourselves feel better. And actually... Well, it's not called retail therapy for nothing, is it? (laughs) There you go. It's sometimes just looking but actually I think that's where that seasonal thing comes in you know which we've spoken about before how particularly the Scandinavians would swap their decor with the seasons and I think if you've done that if you change your cushions and just store them you know they store quite flat don't they cushion covers so they don't take up much space and then you get them out again and you feel like you've almost had a mini redecoration you know reinventing reinventing and I think you know the old dirty bird upcycle um (laughs) I do love a bit of upcycling not just because it's you know sustainable but also because it's cheap (laughs) you know if you can reinvent stuff you've already got recovering furniture rather than just thinking I don't like this sofa anymore I'm going to throw it out and buy a new one you know just recover it or paint furniture all those kinds of things seeing things with fresh eyes before you grab the credit card it's like we all have to do mindful eating now don't we mindfulness is the big buzzword it's about sort of mindfully shopping, isn't it? So it's, do I really need that? Will I love it forever? Have I got somewhere to use it? And actually, I think one of the fashion bloggers, Cat Farmer, does my bum look 40? She's such a great name for a blog. But she always says when she buys a new piece of clothing that she tries to think of at least three separate occasions when she might wear it. So again, we're and just telling people they've got to think harder. Gosh, we're really... We're being quite militant <laughs> about quite it. But I do, on. I think we are, I hope we are slightly preaching to the converted because I think people are thinking more and it's mm. about, you know, using the materials. So I was reading something the other day that now you can get a subscription service for toothbrushes made out of bamboo. Oh, that's and that, That's got to be better than having plastic toothbrushes all the time. That's really good to know that's a thing because I remember when I was doing lots of styling of photo shoots whenever I was shooting a bathroom always a wooden toothbrush because they're pretty because they they look pretty in photographs whereas bright lime green plastic ones look awful but they were always such a nightmare to find good wooden and now you can get them on a subscription apparently so we'll have to look that up and we'll put it in the notes well how many toothbrushes is how many plastic toothbrushes is that going to save you got a stat for me you'd love a stat I read a statistic it's estimated that 3.6 billion plastic toothbrushes are used worldwide every year. Wow. So there you go. All going in the ocean, no doubt. Yeah, get your bamboo subscription here. <laughs> well, actually not here. Um, we'll find out where that is and we will put it on our blog post yes. when the episode comes yeah, out. Yeah, that's a good notes. recap that both of us will be putting lots of images, visual images, links and info on madaboutthehouse.com or sophierobinson.co.uk. Find out more here. Well, there was another point I wanted to make actually about conscious shopping, which I think is, it is thinking about what you buy and where you're going to use it, but also coming back to your Etsy thing, where you buy it from. Mm -hmm. So there are places I have done work with a company called Erende and Emily runs that and she sells products that are made by people who have what she would call social disadvantages. So people who might not be able to find work in a traditional workplace. And so she sells organic linen tea towels made by refugee women who sew them. And she's got wooden spoons made by people with learning difficulties. So it's conscious shopping. It's not 
always just about the waste or the fad, yeah, but right. also thinking about where it comes from and how it impacts who the might, whole of society. Yeah, who might it? benefit if you shop in that place, which may also be slight justification for buying another wooden chopping board. But, you know, <laughs> it's um, it's got to have helped somebody somewhere. So, yeah, so think about do you really need it? And if you really need it, who are you going to buy it from? And I think the other thing to think about maybe is keeping stuff for a bit longer yeah. too right now. This ultimately quite often means you have to spend a bit more money. You know, if you're buying mm. something that's going to last longer, it's usually made of better quality. Therefore, the price can go up. But what was quite interesting talking to some of the designer makers at Etsy, met a really lovely carpenter called Ted Jeffries, who makes really beautiful wooden furniture. And he was saying, actually, because he sells through Etsy, which essentially means you're buying direct from him, mm. you've not got the retail markup that you would. Oh, that's from a, a really street good shop. point. So yeah. actually, he says it isn't often as much as people expect. It's all about hunting out these people. And the difference is, is you can have a conversation with him. He could bespoke it up a bit for you. He can organize delivering it, maybe assembling it. You know, there's so much more kind of like customer support from the actual designer, which I think is really lovely. I also think top tip from Ted, because I think I met him at Clark and Well Design Week. Does he make lamps out of leather? I do not know that. I think he does. And I was wearing when Shall I met him. Shall we find him. out? Because I don't See if it's the same one. Yeah, it's him. Yeah, oh, right. Oh, he does make so, out of leather. Yeah, go on then. Right. So I met Ted, that if that's is, his that real name. That is a small world. At Clark and Will Design Week a few years oh, ago. Oh, he about. Uh, no, but the other top tip from Ted, which is massively off topic. We but it's so just, need him on this podcast. It's Ted's so worth sharing this <laughs> Ted's top tip. I was wearing a pair of boots, which are a little bit tight by the time I'd walked 15,000 steps around Clark and Will and came to his stall. And he said to me, because he makes these lampshades out of leather, that it's all about making le the leather wet and stretching it. And he said to me, if your shoes are too tight wear them with wet socks and they'll stretch OMG. and it's genius I've done it and I've I've had you two or three pairs of boots that are too tight woman. so you, <laughs> I now have a picture of you walking around Clark and Well Design squelching week, squelching in your wet socks Kate, yeah but it works it works so there you go that's My finished that topic off. how can we top that that is an image that I now can't eradicate from my mind. I'm sorry, it was brilliant advice. <laughs> right, well, in that case, moving on from Ted and his squelchy socks, or rather my squelchy socks and Ted's top tips, to <laughs> open plan spaces, the next one in our series. Very fashionable, aren't they, open plan spaces? It seems everybody's having their walls knocked down to create these open plan kitchen, dining, living rooms. Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think when you've got small children, everybody wants to take the walls down so they can keep an eye on their small children. And then their children get bigger, as mine are, and you just really want to put those walls back <laughs> up again. <laughs> I think it's probably also, though, well, I know it is for me, about not being isolated on my own in the kitchen. I mean, as if I was ever going to cook anyway, but if I was taken to cooking everybody dinner. You know, I think the woman of the house doesn't want to be down one end of the... And you've led me into my stat fact. Oh, more stats. Stat girl is back. <laughs> I need a special outfit. You need a jingle as well, I, I think. I think, don't I? I need a jingle for yeah. my stat girl. So, flank... Flank. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to work. This is what happens. 
So open plan living's actually been around for a really long time. The architect, Frank Lloyd Wright, who did Falling Water, those famous American buildings. So he was really prominent in the 30s. And he was one of the first people to advocate open plan living. And that was actually based around the idea of the kitchen as a central hub in the house with the other spaces leading off it. And the idea was apparently so that the housewife, because let's face it, that's who it was back then, uh, was more of a hostess in her own home rather than a kitchen mechanic behind closed doors. That's hit the nail on the head, isn't it? So it's about creating these spaces where we can eat, dine, sit and relax, or essentially all be together. But where you're knocking down walls, you are creating lots of design dilemmas. So one of the biggies is that people ask me is what flooring should they put in the open plan space and can it be more than one different type of floor? So I, I suppose- think that's crucial that it is. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You I do you need one more than one type of floor. Yes. In okay. Well, because I think that's how you would zone it. Absolutely. You might want a tiled floor in the kitchen area and some floorboards in the dining bit, which actually you could carry through to the sitting bit, but you need a rug over them. So I think you need different flooring. Why are you frowning at me? I She's am frowning at me. Really frowning. Okay, really? so my argument is Ooh. I think you need. I think the, the key word here is <laughs> argument, not flooring. <laughs> I'm just getting a little bit this smaller in my chair. But everything you've said about my house over the last week, it's all the white paint. <laughs> So I would argue that you want the same flooring throughout your open plan space, really to give cohesion, continuity and flow. If only you could think of another word beginning with C. <laughs> it would be in there. It would be in there. Um, and then the way I would zone the space would be to use rugs. So I'd say it's practical to have a hardwood floor in the kitchen because of kitchen mess and spills and everything like that. So wood or tiles. And then I'd probably think about throwing, if, if it was a large enough space, not all open plan spaces are large. In fact, some of the smallest open plan spaces are in little flats because it's yes. greedy developers trying to make a one bedroom flat into a two bedroom flat and then basically making the kitchen and living room the one same. room. Yeah. So I think if you have got small open plan spaces, having lots of different floor joins can clutter up a space visually. So one floor and then a nice big rug in the living area to zone the fact that this is a living area and you need something softer underfoot. Do you know the thing I think that looks really nice, though, if you do have different types of flooring is not having a hard line between the two. And I've seen it coming through. You need a very you're patient not gonna have a toilet. Wa- you're not going to have a wavy edge, are you? Well, it's not... Uh... <laughs> I think I think this may be the end of this series. <laughs> Titanic falling out. It's not a wavy edge. What I was going to say was because hexagonal tiles, for example, oh, okay. are quite fashionable. Yes, yes. So I know rather than having this. a hard stop mm-hmm. between the kitchen and the dining room, is you could sort of flow out the tiles. So you have a sort of jagged edge. I'm not saying wavy. No, no, that's quite but nice. You're sort of bleeding one type of flooring into another, which leads you from one space to another and it's not a hard stop. So you could go from your your tiles into your wood. You wouldn't want yes. to do that with carpet. In fact, no. I just don't think car- fitted carpet doesn't have a place in an open plan. Room, no, I think it's I really argue. difficult. I think it's bedrooms only, yeah. actually. Um, so if you want a carpet feel, go for a rug. But that can be, as you say, it's a really good way of zoning it. And I always say you need to buy the biggest rug you can afford. And that's completely true when it comes to an open plan space. Because ideally what you want there is a rug on which 
all the sitting room furniture yeah. fits. So you're creating that idea. A room idea within a room almost, exactly. isn't it? It yeah. doesn't actually have solid walls, but you can very clearly see the demarcation zone between the sitting area and the eating area. Yeah. And while we're on the subject of flooring, actually, I think if you're planning an open plan renovation, it might be an extension, you're, you're putting yeah. some extra space on the ground floor to enable you to have this open plan space, really, really, really consider underfloor heating because getting radiators positioned in a, in as a, a nightmare. As a Yes, nightmare. That's true. And also because yeah. they tend to be bigger, you can end up with quite chilly zones where there aren't radiators. So having underfloor heating throughout your open plan space will just create a lovely, warm, even heat. Throughout. And the other thing I think which people don't do very often, but you need to do in an open plan space is be able to have various bits of furniture turn their back on each other. There's a okay. real tendency to have the furniture sort of around the edges or or have the seating area facing the dining room table and that doesn't zone it. So actually if you've got a dining area at one end and you can do this in a Victorian house where you've just got one of those long thin sitting rooms with a knock through for example which isn't so much open plan as just sort of long two thin rooms room, in two rooms in one you know have a piece of furniture like your sofa going across the middle that's or, where an L shape or modular sofa works really well exactly that or, or have your sofa with its back to the table so it psychologically gives you the feeling that there are different rooms yeah I think that's really important creating different zones within the space so as we say we can do it with rugs you can do it with the positioning of the furniture Another nice way to do it is with your lighting. I was just... Every time. <laughs> you got to be quicker than that. So, yeah, so some drop pendant lighting can help annotate different zones, can't it? So some pendant lighting over the kitchen island, maybe one over the dining table. You could even drop one over your coffee table or footstool too and it just means that different things coming down from the ceiling helps visually just mark out different areas or even space. and you always need lighting on different circuits don't you but you could even in shorthand say you can have sort of spotlights in the kitchen bit a pendant light over the dining room table and a couple of floor lamps on your massive rug and your seating area so you've got three different sorts of lighting in the three different areas. I think lighting areas. In, a, in open plan spaces actually becomes quite complicated. I know yeah. we've covered this in a previous podcast, the crime of doing blanket downlighters in a yes. grid, but never more of a crime, I think, in an open plan space. You really don't want that sort of aircraft lounge lit, yeah. bright light kind of feeling. So a, really important to position your spot strategically over the island, over the coffee table, over the dining table, not in a grid everywhere. Yeah. And maybe don't even have any in your seating area. Yeah. And I'm going to get in quick before you steal my line again. Open plan spaces, you can use plants and bookcases to zone as well. So you can get those bookcases, I think they're from Ikea, oh, which are like, like room grids. dividers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Put them like a room divider or just have a couple of big plants, again, zoning your seating area so that you're just creating a different feel between the different spaces. So really big house plants, like yeah. those lovely big giant fig trees and things like that you get. They yeah. sort of soften it because I think the other thing with open plan is they can... Again, we're talking about on the larger scale of things, but they tend to have big glassy bifold doors. Everything gets a bit hard. And I mean, I've already told you you've got to have hardwood flooring and not loud carpet. So it can all get a bit hard and echoey. And plants can help and with that. And also, and if you've got no walls, you haven't got anywhere to put either wall lights or pictures. So you need some other form of decor. So you've got yeah. to have floor lights or big floor plants or things that, you know, help create sort of the idea of walls because actually technically it would be called broken plan living this idea that you would have 
different zones within one space, but you break it up perhaps by having a different level or a half wall going across the space and you mm. could put a lamp on top of that or using plants or different levels won't go into different flooring, but you're <laughs> keeping the light flowing and the sense of space, but you have got sort of half barriers yeah. between the spaces It's not to too zone hard it. to do. In my last flat when we lived in Brighton, we were in a warehouse conversion, which was great. It was very open plan, but our kitchen was a step higher yeah. than the rest of the space. And yes, I could stand in my kitchen and see everybody, but it just felt a little bit separate because it was yeah. a step up from the ground floor, which was quite a nice touch. Now, another really big problem that people have about open plan spaces is what colour to paint the walls. Clearly and not white. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, obviously not white. I mean, I think general rule of thumb, you have to be quite careful about feature walls in an open plan space because they can just look distracting a bit disparate you know just sort of why just we look a bit random to, don't they look a bit yeah. random so unless again architecturally it makes sense there's an alcove or there's mm. a little piano music corner or something that makes sense that you're marking it out in a different color of wallpaper then I think you're best to probably pop your color in your rugs and your sofas and your artwork or your kitchen island or I think there that's are other absolutely other true but there are ways you can do it I think because we also have this very traditional idea that you know you must cover one wall in one colour. But there's nothing to stop you doing two walls across a corner yeah, in a dark so colour. Like paint a corner um, Paint a corner. So yeah. you're sort of zoning that as your seating area or potentially your yeah. dining but area. But it needs to be for a reason. That's it needs to have thing, a reason. And there's another, I've got a client who's moved into that, the wonderful Hoover building, that very famous sort of 1930s Art Deco building on the North Circular. In London. Um, in London. So her, again, she has an open one room for those three things, dining, sitting, cooking, but it's got pillars in to support, which I think is probably quite common, isn't it? It's holding the ceiling up. <laughs> Um, so what we've done there is painted the wall behind the dining room table in navy blue to zone that dining room area. But she's done the two pillars in it as well. So oh, nice. it's not a wall, but you're sort of creating something a bit continuous and helping zone it. So the idea is you don't have to paint the whole wall in one colour. You can you know, just paint seen, a You can do a triangle. So Kate's it, doing lots of gesticulating with her hands now, listeners. I'm, I'm painting triangles <laughs> on walls. We will find an image um, of this and pop it up on our blog. Yeah, absolutely. You know, don't just be constrained by there's a square wall, I must paint it in a square block of that colour. Use your paint like you use your floor to zone the space. And if you want to stop halfway across or down or over a wall, then, you know, you can. There endeth the lesson on jazzy walls. I love it. <laughs> One last little uh, tip I think worth mentioning. I mean, this is something I bang on a lot about anyway, but when you've, particularly when you've got your kitchen in an open plan space, your kitchen shouldn't look too kitcheny. Absolutely. In my argument, this is where you don't want lots of glossy white wall units and fitted units looking quite Unless, yeah, it's unless open shelving, isn't it? Yeah. You just got to domesticate your kitchen a little bit and make it yeah. feel softer. You know, some open shelving, maybe with some books in, you know, some plants, like you say, popped up on the shelves. Just soften the look of the kitchen so it integrates with the rest of the space. Well, I think you're going to two extremes. You're either doing that and you're having a kitchen that looks like furniture yeah. on which you could cook in a room. Bit or something. Or you've got to go really high-tech industrial and contrast it with, you'll like this, your velvet chintzy sofa just a few feet away so you I think you but you've got to go to one extreme or the other you can't have a sort of ordinary white glossy kitchen I think you you've got to really say you know we live in this open plan warehouse and we've got a high-tech kitchen 
and a sort of country kitchen sofa next to each other and okay. create that tension. And that juxtaposition. Oh, I yeah. love that word. Drop it in wherever I can. Makes it sound dead intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say on the whole, I would rather have a kitchen that didn't look like a kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. So it's time, my personal favourite part of the show. It's time for sharing a few of the design crimes. And we are still getting some real corkers sent in to us. So this one reached me via Instagram. It's from the back to front house and says, one to add to design crimes. And she's used quotation marks here. Oh, yes. Shabby chic furniture. Just paint the furniture. Don't then scuff it up. And never paint gorgeous old brand furniture. It's only acceptable for orange pine and Ikea pieces. Well, it's a fashion thing, isn't it? Because, you know, brown furniture, nobody wanted it for a while, so everybody painted it. And now I think it's coming back in. It's part of that it's vintage... It's creeping, but it's still so cheap. Brown furniture. Yeah. And yeah. You know, if you're trying to sell any brown furniture, like my mum's got some really lovely pieces that really just don't work in her home. She's finally mm. ready to let go of them. And she's getting... Oh no, you can't. You can't sell it. But I, I'm actually quite like a bit of brown furniture. Yeah, me too. But I, my mother has a beautiful corner cupboard that she's painted. It makes me weep. She's because painted she's it painted- grey. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, are you saying that? One shouldn't paint furniture because it's fashionable or because I mean Daniel Hopwood. When I was doing the Great Interior Design Challenge with Daniel Hopwood, we saw a lot of mm. painted furniture. And he would get very, very aggravated over this and on his high horse about it. And he agreed with the back to front house that it was only for pine furniture because actually pine furniture was the Victorian's MDF. It was designed to be painted. And anything with a lovely patina or a um, veneer on it should be left well alone. Um, I didn't always agree with that, I hasten to add. No, I'm in two minds about that. I absolutely agree that, yes, paint pine furniture, why not? Victorian MDF, I like that. When it comes to the sort of brown furniture, I think it's really difficult because I think on the one hand, you shouldn't hang on to something just because you've had it for years and years and, you know, maybe you don't really like it or it doesn't work for you, but you've been on to granny, so, you know, you think you ought to keep it... If you would love it, if it was painted in a different colour or a couple of jazzy colours, I think you've got a cupboard that's kind of half pink and half green, Mm -hmm. which looks as if that might have once been a piece of brown furniture. If that turns it from something that you sort of hate into something you love, then I think you should do it. Exactly. Which goes back to our conscious shopping thing. Like it's better to keep a good quality piece of furniture and reinvent it into something you love than chuck it out. I think it's possibly a crime if it's... When is it a crime? I think it's probably a crime if you do cover something like a really beautiful rosewood piece of furniture, something that's in quite... Also, I think it's a crime if you're slapping paint on every piece of furniture. I don't think you want all painted furniture. And matches the wall colour. Yeah, I think you're going one piece of painted furniture per room, if you must, is okay. Okay, but But not everything. Not everything. So we're we're mostly in agreement with the back to front house. Although um, the real bone there was the the scuffed up shabby chic look. Yeah, I'm not going for that. But I think that's a fashion thing, isn't it? That was fashionable for a while, along with pelmets and swags and stippled walls. And, you know, everything will come back. So we can sit here now and go, oh, my God, scuffed up shaggy sheep. Shaggy sheep. <laughs> shaggy sheep furniture. That is one for Room 101. We'll put that straight now. <laughs> hey, can everybody oh get God. rid of that shaggy sheep, please? <laughs> I think, you know, at the moment, it's very unfashionable and we all hate it. But oh, you know no, what? I don't mind a bit of scuffed Three up Three years furniture. ago, we all hated corduroy. 
And oh, okay. corduroy is going to be the new velvet, oh, isn't you it? Keep, you keep saying it, Kate. It might just happen. Uh, well, I think it will. I've just bought a pair of corduroy trousers. <laughs> They're giving me anxiety dreams about what to wear with them, but I have bought them. <laughs> you need a nice tweed jacket to go with those, surely, Steady. to complete Steady. the job. I don't live work. in the country, darling. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, here's our quick reminder on the top tips in each section. So when it comes to white paint, consider that white paint doesn't automatically make a room feel any brighter. And is white paint an actual deliberate choice? Could there be something better? Next on the topic of conscious shopping, consider shopping for your home at home and restyling what you already own. And finally, open plan spaces. Create a balance between a cohesive look that unites the entire space while also creating distinct zones with large rugs, lighting and even paint. And all that will be on the blogs too. I'm madaboutthehouse.com and she's sophierobinson.co.uk. And don't we just offer excellent value for money? (laughs) (laughs) Do please rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts as it helps to buoy us up in these dark times and makes us feel like we have some small purpose in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And a huge thank you to DFS for sponsoring the podcast. Thank you to Kate Taylor, our producer, and thank you to you, as ever, for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Bye! Bye!